Nerdette is supported by the Sympathizer podcast from HBO. Join host Philip Nguyen in conversation with the cast, crew, and author Viet Thanh Nguyen as they discuss the making of this historic HBO original limited series. Stream new episodes of HBO's The Sympathizer Sundays exclusively on Max. And listen to The Sympathizer podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. Think on your feet for our Fast and Curious 5K, a -a one-of-a-kind race hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at wbez.org slash events. You're listening to Nerdette from WBEZ in Chicago. I am Greta Johnson. And I'm Trisha Bobita. This week, a conversation with Claire Fiesler. Claire is a marine ecologist. She's the driving force behind the Scientist with Stories project. She's an incredible photographer of the natural world and the people who study it. Going into my sophomore year of college, I was a lifeguard at the beach. And I'll never forget kayaking with dolphins one morning for the very first time. And it's like, God, the waters in New Jersey had gone from just a complete wasteland to this vibrant habitat where dolphins were, you know, foraging and playing and stuff. And that happened in my lifetime. Claire Fiesler, this week on Nerdette. Because everybody's a little nerdy about something. Make it snappy, nerd! Nerds! Nerd! Nerdette is supported by the Goose Island Beer Company. Since 1988, Goose Island has been committed to creating award-winning beers that define classic and innovative styles to capture the hearts, imaginations, and palates of beer drinkers. Goose Island, we don't need to be the only beer you drink. We just want to be the best beer you drink. Nerdette is also supported by the Art Institute of Chicago, ranked number one museum in the world on TripAdvisor's 2014 Traveler's Choice list. With 40 exhibitions a year and paintings by Monet, Van Gogh, Picasso, and O'Keefe, details are at artic.edu. This week, we're talking with Claire Fiesler. She's a marine ecologist with the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill. She studies coral reefs in some of the most gorgeous places on Earth. But she's there doing serious science about ocean health and climate change. Claire has a special talent for taking science seriously without taking herself too seriously. This was evident in even her very first science experiment. I actually won the science fair at my high school. I think it was my sophomore year. Because I wanted to prove that you could capture methane from cow pies and use it to, like, light matches. Because <laughs> I had, like, read something on the internet about it. And so I – but I really just, like, wanted to go into, like, a cow pasture and collect cow poop and just, like – do something cool with it. Like that was really the basis of the of the science experiment. <laughs> and it was like slightly failed in that like we couldn't really get the match to light, but we were able to collect methane and like say if we had like a lot of cow poop, this would be a totally cool thing to like heat your home with or something outlandish. And we won. And I remember just being like, you know, I think we won because we just had like an outlandish idea. And people like that. And their inner nerds come out when your inner nerd comes out. And yeah, I think, you know, I grew up going to the Jersey Shore a lot. I'm from New Jersey. And um, just being around that ocean environment and being able to explore in that ocean environment just got me really excited. And I remember, like, dissecting sharks and stuff in high school and just being like, God, who wouldn't want to do this for a living? I was really outgoing and, like, athletic, and I was on all the sports teams. That kind of identity didn't really mesh with my secret nerd identity. (laughs) And so (laughs) I kind of, like, thought it was, like, this secret thing I could kind of do on the side. 
I didn't even go into science till like later in college that I realized that it was something I could do. And that conflict between like someone who was outgoing and like not, you know, didn't want to be in the lab all the time, wanted to be outside and interest and curiosity in the natural world, like weren't in conflict. So it took me kind of a while to get there. I love picturing you hanging out as a teenager on the Jersey Shore and everybody else is in my mind the cast of the show Jersey Shore. And you're like sneaking a peek at the wildlife in the ocean. <laughs> you know, it's true. I guess there's one more event that kind of really shaped me, and it's related to the Jersey Shore. The three things that I get when I tell people from New Jersey, one, people are shocked that I don't like talk. Like I go to the mall and have a dog and, and <laughs> talk like that. But there's things like, oh, you know, you know, it's something about the smell of New Jersey because people imagine Jersey to be this one giant like trash heap, and it's true. It kind of was for like the eighties when I was growing up. And the I say that because has some um, fact in it. yeah, there's like a truth in that stereotype. Growing up in the Jersey Shore, there was something called the syringe tide, which was Ooh. basically just blatant medical waste dumping off the coast of New Jersey, and it was just washing up. And we couldn't go to the beaches for, like, I think two whole summers. I mean, we end up going to, like, lakes in upstate New York, which is totally just not the style of my family. But the beaches were were completely disgusting. And it took years. I mean, it took basically a decade to clean up the waters in New Jersey. But, you know, it's something you don't often hear, kind of these environmental success stories in that I grew up, you know, I remember kind of that trash and seeing, like, plastic gloves on the beaches and syringes. And then by the time I was going into my sophomore year of college, I was a lifeguard at the beach. And I'll never forget kayaking with dolphins one morning for the very first time. And it's like, God, the waters in New Jersey had gone from just a complete wasteland to this vibrant habitat where dolphins were, you know, foraging and playing and stuff. And that happened in my lifetime. And I just think that was really inspiring to me that so often you hear you know, like, oh, the environment is going to hell, which is true in many places of the world, but... But Jersey's looking good. And the Cuyahoga River is not on fire anymore. (laughs) We've made small steps in a few places. Right, yeah. Seeing that environmental success story in New Jersey, of all places, definitely (laughs) shaped me. (laughs) So you're lifeguarding with dolphins. You're a sophomore in college, and you said that that's about the time when you started really getting into more formal science. Yeah, mm-hmm. and I think my time at the Jersey Shore doing that, like being on the beach every day, ten hours a day, kind of shaped me in that way because you just saw things. You know, you just kind of like observe things because you're just literally staring at the water for ten hours. You know, people find things. You know, they like bring them up to you, and you kind of mm-hmm. have to like. I didn't like just being like, I don't know what that is. So I'd like go look it up. You know, like what is that like shellfish? Like what is that like jellyfish? Like what is, what are these? You know, kind of like changes in water color, and like being able to kind of give like a real answer. I think was kind of cool for me, and that kind of like realized like, oh, I can be of use to people with this knowledge. It's not just like a secret thing for myself. Well, and the fact that it can be really fun, too, I think is something that you capture really well. I saw a tweet recently where someone quoted you saying that that it's more the culture of science that's what's actually keeping people from caring about it more than it's actually science itself. Yeah, I think that's true, don't you? Oh, yeah. I mean, even the methane thing, I feel like you're able to capture like the ridiculousness of it all in a really important way that makes it entertaining as well as informational. Yeah, I really think that... I mean, even your podcast, even things like, 
I know I can't say it on the radio, but like IFL science, <laughs> which you can look it up to see what that really stands for, <laughs> is kind of celebrating this nerd culture and the culture of science uh, that is like, yeah, slightly nerdy, but super exciting and something to be celebrated. And I mean, it's only really been the past couple of years, you know, I mean, it's been like a slow movement, but it's kind of, it's kind of exploded and it's super exciting to be a scientist at this time. We talked to an astronomer from the Adler Planetarium here in Chicago not that long ago, and she has young kids. And I remember asking, how does she make sure that she's instilling a love of science into her young children? And she said, oh, all kids are interested and ask questions in the world around them. We label that science later and we put it in a box later. But that sense of wonder is something that gets beaten out of us, not that needs to be instilled in us. And I thought that that was something that, like you're saying, Scientists to be taken seriously, maybe, or to be seen as knowledgeable, have to be detached from the enthusiasm about the work that they're doing. But if you're traveling the world to study something or you're spending 12 hours a day in a lab doing something, you're not casual about it. So why are we making it seem like you're not enthusiastic about it to be taken seriously? Yeah, I don't know. One of the things that I love on, on the internet, I've like showed it to so many people, is like this experiment that a couple of female scientists do where they like teachers ask the kids to like draw what a scientist looks like. And it's someone with like crazy hair and like a lab coat and beakers just like everywhere and explosions in the background. This mad scientist idea. And then they have, you know, people like me <laughs> or, you know, just like someone who's going to talk about marine science and go into the classroom and talk to the kids. And then the next day you have the kids draw a picture of a scientist. And, you know, and it's like a young woman, like athletic with like, you know, scuba diving, you know, and it's just like, it's all about how we see the culture and how we promote the culture. And I just love that, that kids can pick up on that. They can change their minds real quickly like that in like a day. But I think it's the adults that have more trouble seeing the culture of science in a new way, you know? Well, I think it's also our responsibility to pursue people who don't fit into what you think the typical outline would be, right? I mean, it's not until the kids actually see someone who's not essentially Einstein that they're <laughs> like, oh, you know, that hadn't even crossed my mind. I know. How did Einstein hair become like the norm? Like, I think <laughs> Einstein at the time was like a total just like... I don't know. Maybe Back to the Future had, a, had like a whole thing. <laughs> I'm into it. I think it's pretty cool. Back to the Future helped. I think uh, as someone with hair that would like to be Einstein hair, <laughs> uh, I don't mind it. I think it's, you know, it's fine if we all have crazy hair. But uh, but yeah, I mean, this is exactly the thing, right? Is It's about representation. And I think, too, because of the way we talk about science as a separate category, it's the same thing that happens in a way to the arts where we've sort of decided that even as adults, we have to put information into those same buckets as the classes we took in middle school, art, science, math, Right. when really there's art in math and there's science in social studies and there's, it's all connected. And we have these false distinctions from academia that the world is in these buckets and really science and math and social studies and language arts are all just ways to explore the world. Yeah, it's true. You know, it's funny. Um, I actually got an email yesterday from, she's an ecologist out in Michigan, and um, we have this working group to try to define what interdisciplinary ecology is. And she's like, oh, yeah, well, I can totally talk about this experience I recently had of working with a historian and a theologian. Yes. And I'm just thinking to myself, how cool is that? Like an ecologist and a historian and a theologian are like doing a science paper together. 
and I think it's changing. I think it's changing, especially with like the young generation of scientists. I think she's like 35 or something, um, where those silos are coming down. I think it's an exciting time to be a scientist. It's an exciting time to be a nerd in general, but a scientist (laughs) specifically. (laughs) So tell us about Science Vale. I think this is a beautiful thing, too, just in terms of that accessibility of scientists. Yeah. So Science Vale, you know, there's this thing in science, and you can, like, look it up online. There's all these women that blog about it. It's called imposter syndrome. A lot of women don't think they're good enough to be celebrated for different awards or for different accolades that they get or whatnot. Right. They're always feeling that they are not good enough. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I'm sure other underrepresented groups feel the same way. I just am a little attuned to it uh, as a woman myself. You know, so I'm just always thinking to myself, you know, I'm about to finish up this PhD and it's been a long journey. And, you know, you're just like, oh, and, and full of failures too, failed experiments and so forth. Mm-hmm. And you always try to hide that, just like pretend it never happened. Just like hide it, hide it from your CV. <laughs> like just don't, just, the failures did not happen. Just like repeat that over and over again, like shaking to yourself, rocking back and forth in the corner. <laughs> but really, like, I mean... The greatest discoveries in science happened because of like failure, 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 failure. Aha. Like that's, that's science. Science cannot happen without failures in short. And so we wanted to highlight that through ways that people felt comfortable and through ways that people found entertaining. So there's this storytelling community in North Carolina called the Monty and it's adopted from the moth and it's run, um, uh, by this guy who's a great storyteller himself. He actually has a PhD in like microbiology, I think. And he loved the idea when we were having beers one day talking about it, of having scientists go up on stage and talk about their failures. And then we're like, well, we need a mix of like all age groups, you know? And so he's like, wouldn't it be great to have like a, a Nobel laureate up there with some of the young people who are more open to this format? Yeah. And we're thinking, where are we going to get a Nobel laureate from? <laughs> I, I ask myself that question all the time. <laughs> I'm often in need of a Nobel laureate and they're just hard to come by. Yeah. It's like, God, wouldn't it be great? We could really use a Nobel laureate at this point in time. And it's like, where, where are we going to find one? And it's like, oh, there's one like two buildings over. Like, literally, I had no idea that the guy that invented gel electrophoresis, which is kind of, if you ever take high school biology and you like make these gels oh, yeah. and then you like pipette like DNA into it. And then you put like electrodes on either side of this little plastic tray. And then the DNA goes from like one charge to the other. It's basically the way that we separate DNA and I've taught it. I taught it for two years at the university and had no idea that the guy who invented it was literally at my university in the next building over. It's amazing. And had won a Nobel Prize for his work. Anyways, so it just so happens there was a Nobel laureate literally down the street and we knocked on his door. Well, I didn't. I asked someone to do it because I was like too embarrassed. And he was like, oh, I think that's a great idea. Just so happens I talked about failure in my Nobel acceptance speech. And he did. <laughs> so it's like, I mean, you could not have a better series of like events falling together if you are a nerd who likes storytelling and who is looking for a Nobel laureate <laughs> who wants to talk about failure. It's a little like the Harry Potter room of requirement level of coincidence <laughs> really going is. on there. I know, right? So he was on board. And then we sent out a call to graduate students and postdocs, you know, who are kind of like the rising scientists and they're kind of all in the you know, mid-20s, early 30s, basically everything before you get to professor level. 
to also submit their pitches for their science fail story. And I think we had like 25 pitches, which is a lot, I think, for, you know, I mean, the whole idea of science is to celebrate successes and not show the failures. And so the people that were willing, all these people were willing to go up on stage, I found really encouraging. And we selected seven and six end up telling stories and they got professional coaching and storytelling. They're not used to going up on stage with no notes and revealing emotional details about their life. And it, they just jumped right in. We even had the president of the university, who's an ecologist, a female ecologist, to come on board as well. And to see them all up there on the same stage, talking about the same sort of failures in science and revealing kind of this emotional details about their life in a way that just, you know, would be revealing for anybody. I don't know. It was just like, it was a big moment for me that changed the way I saw the culture of science, that the culture of science could be this. If we could get a Nobel laureate, the president of the university, and a ton of young, scared scientists to do this, then everyone can. Yeah, that's awesome. So can you give us some examples without giving away anything too intimate? The one that got picked up by Upworthy.com, which was pretty cool, and we got like you know 200,000 views, I think, in like no time, was a young woman whose father was a professor in the biology department at UNC Chapel Hill. And she was majoring in biology at the same time because she wanted to be like her dad. And so, you know, this is someone who grew up like knowing the intricate details of, of physiology and biology and so forth. And she was talking about how her sophomore year in college, she realized completely surprised that she was six months pregnant <laughs> like missed all the biological basic biological signs of pregnancy Come like on, just guys. completely missed it <laughs> literally under your nose and you know like half the crowd like kind of like didn't know how to react and half the crowd laughed then people were like kind of sighing that like oh my god this is this is just the way she was talking about it was just so smart and funny but she totally connected it to her scientific outlook on life and that like her main point was we as scientists don't always see what's right in front of us and that we need other people in our lives. We need collaboration. We need interdisciplinary discussion to sometimes see the most obvious things in science and talking about something that I think she was like 19, like basically teen pregnancy. If you can frame that within, within experience of teen pregnancy, I mean, just like, it leaves people remembering and it leaves people questioning, you know, what they've thought about science and what science is. And I just love that. And that was my favorite story by far. She's an incredible single mom now. I think her kid's in kindergarten. She's just killing it at Duke University now getting her PhD. She's great. And I encourage you to watch the video online. Awesome. We will definitely post a link to that. Claire Fiesler, thank you so much for talking with us. Oh, what a pleasure. Thank you, guys. I loved it. I love talking nerd stuff. Still to come, homework from Claire Fiesler and a pretty excellent listener nerd confession. That's in a minute here on Nerdette. I am a golden god! Yeah! Nerdette listeners, I'm Jim DeRogatis. And I'm Greg Cott. We're the hosts of Sound Opinions, a show where we discuss our thoughts and ideas about music of the past and present. We're taking a minute of Nerdette's time to let you know about our big outdoor screening of Cameron Crowe's rock and roll classic, Almost Famous. Also, do we mention it's free? Yes, it is free. Come on out July 28th at Millennium Park in Chicago and watch one of the greatest films ever made about music. 
You can find out more information on soundopinions.org. Nerdette is supported by the Chicago Architecture Foundation, offering more than 85 tours by boat, bus, L-train, or on foot. CIF's tours are led by 450 volunteer docent guides and depart seven days a week. Tickets at architecture.org. Nerdette is also supported by Lifeway Kiefer, America's leading supplier of the cultured probiotic smoothie known as Kiefer. High in potassium, calcium, and protein, Lifeway Kiefer contains 12 live and active probiotic cultures that may support digestion and a strong immune system. With breakfast, lunch, dinner, or as a snack, Lifeway Kiefer is a healthy way to indulge every day. Head to the dairy aisle of your local Mariano's grocery store to find your favorite flavor. For more information and to learn how Lifeway Kiefer is good for more than just you, visit LifewayKiefer.com. We've got homework for you now from Claire Fiesler. She thought long and hard before offering this up. And I think that it's something that you're really going to want to do. It's something anyone can do. And she says it changed the relationship she had with her father. I study climate change on coral reefs. And it's hard to, like, talk with your family members about something that you do if your family members, like, don't necessarily believe what it is you're talking about. And a couple years ago, my dad was interested in climate change, but kind of comes from a political background in which he's told things that I think are inaccurate. And so I said, Dad, well, how about this? You read one book from my side, and then I'll read a book based on like what you believe, what your thoughts are. And he did. He read this book by Gus Speth, which is a little outdated now, but this happened like eight years ago, I think, when I really started getting to my own research about climate change. And the book is called Red Sky at Morning, and it talks about why climate change is serious and why it's relevant to like the everyday person. And he does it through storytelling and his own experience. And my dad read it, and he came back with like a totally open mind. And... I kind of wanted to ask him, like, well, okay, so what do you want me to read? And he never asked. And ever since, you know, it's never been an argument. It's, you know, I, you know, I've never really kind of said to my father, like, well, you know, do you believe in climate change? Because I think that wasn't really the point. I think the point was seeing the natural world through kind of eyes that were similar to my own and through an urgency that I felt. And that he could relate to. And I think that allowed me to be able to talk about my nerd culture and my research with my father, which, you know, which is sometimes it's hard to talk to your parents about what you do and your passions if, you know, you think that they're different from, you know, the way you see them. So I guess that's my way of saying that if there's something that you're into, especially in the natural world, and you think that your family, someone in your family could benefit from seeing it through your eyes. Find something that does it, like an article or a book, and then go to them and sincerely say, hey, it'd mean a lot to me if you read this, and it would help you understand me better. In return, I want to read something that will help me understand you better. Your homework is also to check out the portraits Claire did for National Geographic about women scientists working in the field called Outnumbered. We'll have a link to that and all your homework at nerdatpodcast.com. Time now for a nerd confession. Hey guys, this is Evan from California. My wife loves to tell this story. I don't think it's that bad, but she loves to tell this story. So a few years back, before we were married, we lived in this college town in Texas, and we lived in a great little neighborhood, small old homes near the university, and a bunch of college kids lived around us. 
we had actually just gotten home from something. I don't remember what. And so we were walking in and, and I stopped and looked up because that's what I did then. And that's what I still do now. I, I'm nerdy in the sense that I just love staring up at the stars and at the planets and I love trying to keep track of what is what and where is where and all that stuff. And it started then and it's continued to this day. And I hope I never stop looking up, to be honest. My wife doesn't get it, though. But anyway, so I'm stopped by myself staring up and these group of kids, you know, probably about 10 years younger than me. I mean, I'm, I was about 30 at the time. So they come by and one of them asks, hey, man, do you know where Jennifer lives? And my response to him was, no. But I do know that's Jupiter. And I pointed up, and I don't think any of them actually even bothered turning their heads or even hesitating for a second. They just kept on walking away. They just beelined it away from me, that older nerd. So that's my nerd confession, because I figured I might as well get it out there before my wife tells the rest of the world. Excellent nerd confession. Well done, Evan Goldstar. We need you to send your nerd confession, too. We're talking to you, all of you. It's got to be about when you were at your nerdiest. Everything from epic fails to humble brags. Welcome. 312-600-5638. You can call and leave a message, or you can use your smartphone to use whatever the voice memo-esque app is on your phone. Just record yourself, and then you can email it to us. That's nerdatpodcast at gmail.com. Thanks to Claire Fiesler for joining us this week, and hat tip to Lulu Miller from Invisibilia for introducing us. Next week on Nerdette, Catelyn Moran, author of How to Build a Girl and How to Be a Woman. Yes, at the moment we're trying to decide which curse words she used are British enough that we don't have to bleep them. It's a guessing game. (laughs) It's fun. This show is produced by us, Trisha Bobita and Greta Johnson. With help from WBEZ's Joe Dassault and his maester in training, Brad Helm. Find links to all the things at nerdetpodcast.com. You can listen to us wherever you're listening to us because you already are. But we'd appreciate it if you took the plunge and subscribed to Nerdet on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, whatever your favorite podcast app is. Throw us some stars and write a review if you're feeling generous. Like the excellent Harley did on Stitcher. We share links to things we love on Facebook, which you can see if you like us there. Follow us on Twitter at nerdetpodcast. At Nerdette Podcast is also where we are on Instagram, and that's where Greta writes pocket-sized book reviews. Chicago Public Media creates award-winning content about the issues that affect nerds like you. More information is available at chicagopublicmedia.org. There's one other way you can help Nerdette. If you're a nerd with a business or you work for one that wants to get your message heard by Nerdette listeners, you can underwrite the show. Email nerdettepodcast at gmail.com to learn more about sponsorship opportunities. Our theme music is New Old Toys by Poddington Bear. Do your homework. Do your homework. Nerdette is supported by the Sympathizer podcast from HBO. Join host Philip Nguyen in conversation with the cast, crew, and author Viet Thanh Nguyen as they discuss the making of this historic HBO original limited series. Stream new episodes of HBO's The Sympathizer Sundays exclusively on Max, and listen to The Sympathizer podcast wherever you listen to podcasts.